Welcome to The Table, a place where stories are told, life is shared, and our hope is that you'll leave full. We encourage you to sit back, pull up a chair, and enjoy the conversation. Today's conversation is one that has more mature content. If you're normally listening to this around children, you may want to be mindful of the content going forward. Thanks for listening. Welcome to The Table. This is your host, Chris Albritton, and I will be leading our discussion today. Joining us around the table, we have the host, Drew Phillips, helping out. Good morning, good morning. And also the person leading our story and telling our story today, Becky Morris. How are y'all doing today? Good. Doing very well. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, it's going to be a a great topic, uh, a great story to tell uh, of, of Becky's life here. And so, Becky, why don't you start off and just tell us a little bit about yourself, where you're from, and your hobbies and stuff. Yes, so I'm Becky Morris, and I am from Warren County originally, grew up uh, on a farm, and taught for many years in Illinois, but always lived in Indiana. I taught third grade for 15 years. My hobbies, and so this is funny, are podcasts. <laughs> so when Drew announced... Welcome to it, then. <laughs> it's like a bucket list thing. Yes. So when Drew announced the podcast, I I think uncharacteristically ran up. I didn't pray about it or talk to anyone or get advice. I just ran up to Drew after church in the Next Step space. And in my mind, I like grabbed him by the lapels, <laughs> but I don't think I actually did. And I said, I have to be on the podcast. And here I am. Here so uh, I did email later and say, you don't have to have me. Um, <laughs> sorry about that. But thank you for having me. I appreciated your enthusiasm. It helped me uh, be excited about it, knowing that at least one other person was excited as I was about the fact that we were going to be doing a podcast. Absolutely. So. Absolutely. And after hearing the story, so we sat down, we talked, and and really just felt like this is what the table, uh, we wanted it to look like, is just sharing stories around the table. Mm-hmm. And so to start out, why don't you uh, just give a brief overview as we dive into the whole story. Uh, Give us a brief overview of your faith journey. So I was um, going to half-day kindergarten, and my mom was doing, like, just mom stuff off on her own. So I would go to my grandma's house after work or after kindergarten. And so she was a very—my grandparents, my mom's parents were very uh, strong Christians, and— Back then, they they didn't entertain kids, so I was just kind of on my own playing at grandma's, and she would put on records, and the record I was listening to, it was Tammy Faye Baker. I don't know if you guys know the lady with all the mascara and uh, did a lot of crying. So she was doing it. It was a children's record, and she said, little children, if you want Jesus in your heart, then you just kneel down and pray right now with me. Well, my grandma peeked in on me from the kitchen, and I was doing the prayer with Tammy Faye. So she told me that when I got older. And, you know, at some point you wonder, was I really saved at the kindergarten age? Well, I was a pretty serious kid and thinking about uh, life and death and, and absorbing everything I learned in church. We did go to church every Sunday. So in second grade ish, My mom was in politics, so I knew Ronald Reagan had been elected president. My parents went to his inauguration. And so I said, Mom, I have to write a letter to the president. And she said, well, why? And I said, well, I know how to fix all the problems in our country, and I need to let him know 
And she said, well, what are you going to tell him? And I said, I need to tell him about Jesus. So I was thinking along those lines from a young age, definitely, um, definitely felt a lot of convictions and was absorbing. I had a great Sunday school teacher. My mom uh, played piano for church a lot of the time. And my dad would, all the guys took turns being Sunday school superintendent, all the Mm -hmm. dads. Um, So we were involved, but it was what I call now a Sunday morning Christianity. So my family didn't necessarily behave the same way at church as they did uh, the rest of the time. So Becky, why don't you tell us, uh, you mentioned some about your home and upbringing uh, and how that looked like a a Sunday morning Christianity. Uh, Why don't you tell us uh, what that did look like and then kind of walk us through that part of your story there. So So my family did go to church and I knew it was important, but my um, parents behaved differently the rest of the time. And there were sort of like um, part of the family we would hide certain things from. For example, my parents would drink and then hide it from certain family members. And to me, that was just normal. Whatever your parents do is normal. But now I know, now I, I want to live my life in a different way. You know, the idea that you are different people, depending on who you're around, is not a great way to be raised. Mm, so I, I think that for me, I, I think back on it, and I think if I would have had any person living in my house that was really walking a different way, that I would have followed that because I had so many convictions and I was such a serious kid. But I was sort of seeing more, you know, you kind of party, you have fun, you work hard. You go to church on Sunday. These are just things that you do. And I was drawn more into the, I don't know of another word to call it, but just more of a hedonistic type lifestyle than a godly biblical lifestyle. So when I became um, an adolescent, I had a boyfriend. Um, actually, I started drinking from a really young age. We were around alcohol, so I had access to it. We had babysitters that gave us to gave it to us. I was like in third grade ish. Um, so yeah, so we we would sneak alcohol or just you know have it with our parents sometimes at a wedding or something like that. I was pretty young, and so when I got a little bit older, I was interested in boys. And my mom's uh, sex talk was, "Don't get pregnant. I will not take care of a kid. Not." be holy, save yourself. There was no no conversation like that. So I didn't have any really reason. Uh, I mean, I knew what the Bible said, but I just wasn't encouraged. Uh, We didn't necessarily have a good youth group or anything like that. So I started having sex with my um, boyfriend, who was much older. And looking back, you know, I see a lot of things with I was 15, he was 19, it was it was just really, you know, now I look back on it, it's really yucky, but at the time that it was happening, um, I felt like if I didn't do that, I would lose him as a boyfriend, mm-hmm. so I can remember the pressure that I felt there, and so I had talked to him, he was supposed to be a Christian too, and I talked to him at different times and said, can we stop this, can we pull back, I, you know, this isn't right, and I also thought, I thought I was saved, but I also thought, that if I did stuff like that and wasn't repentant and stop doing those things and 
you know, even if I ask for forgiveness, but I'm going to keep doing it, <laughs> that I wouldn't be, that I wouldn't be, that I'd lose my salvation. So I was sort of lived, and I can remember this, lived in a state of terror, hmm. but I still chose the sinful path. I could have chosen a different path, but I, I stayed on the sinful path. And he and I actually dated for seven years and ended up marrying as soon as I got done with college. I can remember thinking, now I am not going to go to hell. Mm-hmm. <laughs> now if I die, I'm not going to hell. I'm married. And so I thought all my problems would, were over, especially my, the, I felt like I had a besetting sin problem for all of those years. Hmm. So thinking back... Now on that, what was, when you think about you choosing to go down that path, what was the, the where did that shift come in for you? What, what was the shift of, of um, being very strong, convicted adolescent to now I'm choosing to do this? What, where, where did that shift come in? I I don't remember any kind of like pinnacle moment. It was just there was always the dual duality to my faith that I felt a certain way maybe around certain people. I had a cousin that was a very strong Christian and her family would do devotions when I was at their house. So that was my exposure to the more faithful Christian walk. My grandparents that where I was saved, they would pray before meals and they had gone to the Holy Land multiple times, and they used to have uh, prayer meetings in their basement, and a lot of people were saved. And so I heard all those stories. I knew there was a different way, but within my my actual house, we just didn't live that way. Mm-hmm. There were times when we would, I would see my parents reading the Bible, and they would definitely do church things. So if mm-hmm. there was a church Bible study or church functions, that we would attend those. But it just wasn't. It wasn't integrated. So that was the confusion was always there. And it, it, what I'm hearing too is that you were doing exactly what you saw modeled for you. So your parents lived a double life ish, and then this, you were doing the same. Where you would, when you were with one group, you were one way. When you were with another group, you were another way. So you were modeling what you were seeing your parents um, do for you all, all all these years. And so you just had kind of adopted that. So now you're married in the story, and in your mind, all of the sexual sin that you had before is taken care of because with all of that, now you're married to the guy. So tell us what the next part of the story is. Well, to my surprise, my problems were not over. My sin problems were still present. And my husband changed, even though we dated seven years, he changed almost instantly when we got married. And he was very controlling and abusive Although um, I had been a drinker early on, he was very against it. So I didn't really drink, even though I was, you know, 21 at this point. My family still would drink, and to be around them, I kind of wanted to learn how to drink without overdoing it or getting sick. So um, I started going to wine tastings and sort of getting in on the high end of drinking. (laughs) And it just felt very, you know, cosmopolitan and fancy. And so I also at this time, because of the abuse, had a lot of um, depression, anxiety, I had stomach issues. And I found out uh, if I drank wine at night, I felt amazing. 
And it seemed almost like a miracle to me that a few glasses of wine would take away all these feelings. My stomach was better. So I was coping now with this abusive home life and abusive marriage with alcohol. And he did not physically abuse me, but it was a lot of mental and emotional abuse which was present before we were married. I did not realize that's what my relationship was until later. But then the physical stuff, I can remember when the physical stuff started, knowing for sure that was wrong. Mm -hmm. And I, I know not all women, but I knew it was wrong. And I chose to stay and I chose to keep it a secret because I knew if I told people, they would say, get out. And I wasn't going to get out. And I remember also... One of the strong convictions that I had from, you know, being a Christian and my parents, you know, a lot of things were not off limits, but divorce was taboo. So when I got married, I was not going to get a divorce. Once the abuse started, I was not going to get a divorce. That was not ever in my mind. So I didn't tell anyone about the physical stuff. And so I drank more. Eventually, he brought home, and he started smoking marijuana. Eventually, he brought home cocaine. And I was never interested in it. I always joked and told people the Nancy Reagan, like, just say no campaign actually worked on me because I had never tried a drug, and I was, like, 25. And I was definitely around it. I just, no one offered it. I never, never tried that. So when your husband brings home cocaine into your marital home, and he's saying, try this, use this. So I did. I didn't really like it, but he would give it to me when I was really intoxicated. And eventually we started doing it together in my twisted and warped state. And especially as bad as my marriage could be, it almost seemed like it was helping us grow closer. So we would have, this is really sick, we would have date nights and we would do cocaine and drink together. And it definitely affected our marriage. He stopped working a lot. And so I was still teaching this whole time. And the violence increased, the abuse increased, the using alcohol and drugs increased, and he stopped working. So um, I realized I have to keep working. And I did not want to use my, lose my job. So I would leave work and go straight to a local bar so that I wouldn't have to go home and be around the cocaine because cocaine is a much harder drug than alcohol. So it's hard to do cocaine on a regular basis and teach third grade. I figured that out like the first year. So I would just stay at the bar all night. And I remember at that time, my parents being, especially my mother being really embarrassed. I was hanging out mm -hmm. at this bar all the time. And I remember thinking like, if she knew what was going on at my house, mm -hmm. she wouldn't think I, you know, to me, the bar was safer than, than my house. Mm -hmm. So I would try to stay away from the house until my husband had used all the drugs. Wow. This, this story is, uh, is very deep and we are so thankful that you are willing to share this. Uh, this podcast is going to take two episodes. Uh, and so we, uh, we're going to stop at this point. Uh, join back with us uh, on the next podcast, and we're going to enter part two uh, and really discuss God's uh, redeeming work in the process of all this. Becky, thank you so much for sharing from your heart. Uh, we know this was a hard thing to share uh, and to, to bring forward to the table. Drew, thanks for being a part of the podcast, uh, and look back for the next episode.
Thank you so much for listening to The Table, a podcast of Calvary Church in West Lafayette. Music was provided by Heath Bentley. For more information, check us out at yourcalvary.info. Have a great day.